Many of you know that about eight days ago, I was in Colorado, and I just want to be real honest with you. Yesterday in the heat, when it felt like it was 1,010 degrees, I, I didn't want to be here. I wanted to go back to Colorado. Any, anybody, like, I would have gone with you. Any, anyone, we got some hands there. Like, there's hot, and then there's, we want to let you know what hell's going to feel like Texas hot. And I feel like that's where we've been the past few days, and I just want you to know, as all this stuff is going on, I went back to Browns Canyon. Now, I don't know if you know what Browns Canyon is. It's the number one rafting spot in America, uh, which probably means in the world. I don't know that for sure, but it's America, so of course, it's the number one spot in the world, right? Well, we were there, and I had the opportunity just to be on the Arkansas River and going down, and you see this picture, and it just kind of captures the beauty of God's creation, and it's calm, and it's just this beautiful place where you can be, and as we were on a raft on, uh, on this river, things changed a little bit. They got a little bit choppy, a little bit tumultuous, and we hit what's referred to as a level five rapid. Now, as you hit these rapids, you move from everything's calm and peaceful to do we hold on? Do we push? Do we pull? Like, do we jump? Like, what do we do here? And I don't know how you experience and what happens to you in those times, but for me, I feel invigorated. Like, I want to be on the edge a little bit. I want to enjoy the rush of the moment. And it was great. We had the opportunity to watch in the boat in front of us one of the kids pop out. A dad who couldn't swim was smart enough to not follow the instructions orders or instructors or orders. He jumped in the water. His son jumped right back in. And it was a piece of work trying to get that guy back in because he was panicking, doing everything wrong. Don't be that guy, by the way. And as we're in the rapids, as we're feeling the water come and splash us, and it's 50 degrees, sounds real good, there was this thing that happened. Like we're, we're living life the way it's supposed to be lived. We're enjoying the moment. And what I want us to do today is go from maybe just calm and peaceful in a way that we're just kind of floating down a river enjoying life to maybe embracing a limitless life. More specifically, embracing a limitless, limitless life found in Christ Jesus. So what I want you to do is turn to Titus chapter 3. Last week, Hunter came up and he preached a great word on Titus 1 and 2. Very timely for all of us who are starting the GISD school year last Monday. Very timely for us as we face uncertainty in our times that as an act of reverence to God, we submit to our government in as much as they don't violate God's law. And then today, what Paul is doing for Titus and the church in Crete is he is bringing out kind of an understanding of who they are, who we are, and how we're to live our lives. And I love this because of the nature of the passage in bringing out what we came from, where we are, and what we should be according to God and his word for us and over us, this blessing that he has for us, a blessing to live a life fully in Christ Jesus. So Titus chapter 3, verse 3 starts off and it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves 
to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Please catch this as we're reading this passage. For we ourselves were once. And then all those things were applicable to the church in Crete. And I want you to understand they are applicable to everybody in this room as well. For we were once, maybe some are still in this state, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions and pleasure, passing our days in malice and hate. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, regeneration is this present active quality of God within our hearts and our lives. Regeneration is something that happens immediately for the believer, that God comes in and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but it is a continual thing. We were washed and we are in the process of, of being washed and made clean. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I want you to just kind of put that heir mentality, that privileged mentality, We've heard a lot about privilege. If you're in Christ Jesus, please understand that you are privileged. No one holds you back with the privilege of being a son or a daughter of the king. Now, as we look at Titus 3, 3 through 7, there's three things that are so apparent. The first is our past. When verse 3 describes this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What it does is it gives us this reminder of what we have come from. People always say, never forget where you came from. Never forget where you came from. Don't forget your people. Don't forget the hard work that you had to put in to get where you are. It's a good thing that we look back on. But I'll say this, it's also good to remember where you were before Christ. We come from corruption. Those of us who are in Christ like to think that we're prim and proper, and there's this false belief that somehow we are worthy in and of ourselves of God's love. That we are worthy in and of ourselves of the sacrifice of God. That we in and of ourselves are, are worthy because we do good things or we help people or we're charitable or we're kind or encouraging or uplifting. We come from corruption. This week, there was evidence of corruption as clearly seen as anything in the past year or two years. A little five-year-old boy riding his bike in his own neighborhood his two sisters watching. And a 25-year-old, allegedly on drugs, walked up to this kid point-blank range and shot him right in the head. Not a lot of coverage on it in the news, on what 
transpired during this act, but what I will tell you is it is a picture, please hear this, of the corruption that we all come from. We like to point fingers and say, what is wrong with him? What is wrong with her? What is wrong with this group? What is wrong with that group? But the scripture talks about us as sons and daughters of disobedience. The scripture talks about us as enemies. When it uses that word enemies, it's the same word that we derive the idea or concept of terrorist against the gospel and God's love. When we see these pictures, it defines us. I don't want to forget what God saved me from. I don't want to forget what I'm capable of. I don't want any of us to forget because I will tell you something, but by the grace of God, there go I, there go you, there go all of us. Because we're not good. We're sons and daughters of disobedience, but God, right? Which is why as a church, we are committed in our foundation, right? We are committed in who we are as a church. We are committed all the way to our constitution and what we say to be the perfect place for imperfect people. That's why our mission is to glorify God by being the perfect place for imperfect people. Please hear this, connecting all people. I don't care if you're orange, black, purple, green, blue, white. If you're multi, I don't care. We want to be the perfect place for all people of all ages, all the time, to connect them to God and others. And I'm just going to tell you that the more we understand and remember what God saved us from, the more impact we will have to be that perfect place for people who desperately need it. But the scripture uses this word to really capture what Jesus saved us from, from the state in which we were when God redeemed us and pulled us out. Uses this word called slaves to various passions and pleasures. Slaves in malice and envy. Slaves hated. Slaves hating. The picture is that we were owned by our sin. A picture that nobody wants to act like happens and nobody wants to remember or forget or whatever, but in this moment, what I'm saying is we were slaves, held against our will without a voice. We were slaves to various passions, to sensuality, slaves to malice. It needs to be understood that when we step back into sin, we're stepping back into the slavery in which we have been freed from. I would propose to you that our culture, our times, our country, we're still in slavery. In fact, I would say it's as bad or worse than it's ever been. There was a death that happened yesterday. Our president, I care less if you like him or hate him, if you think he's the best thing ever, you think he's the worst thing ever. He went to Twitter like he always does and he posted this statement about his brother who died. So tonight, it's with a heavy heart, I announce my brother has passed away. I'm saddened by his loss. He was my best friend. I love you, rest in peace. Within minutes on Twitter, there was this trend, wrong Trump. Wrong Trump. Wrong Trump. You had politicians who have a home in Washington, D.C. You have politicians all over the country. You have news heads, reporters. Common people, hashtag wrong Trump. You want to know what slavery to sin looks like? It's slavery to hate. 
You want someone who is encaptured by sin? All they do is spew hate. If there's ever a moment where we can just take a, a step back, say, I don't like this man, but rest in peace to his brother. Let's pray for this man that he could have comfort. If you love him, it's easy. If you hate him, maybe you'll be like, maybe this will be the thing that will make him more sensitive. No, wrong Trump, hatred. That is what Christ calls us from, our past. And he calls us into a new present. In verses 4 and 5, he describes this. We were slaves to hate, slaves to malice, slaves to sensuality, captured, shackled. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Please hear this. Not because we're good enough. Not because we tithed or gave. Not because we went to church and brought our Bible. Not because we were kind or charitable. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. But according to his own mercy. By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It was God who did the work. And the reason that it's so important to understand that it was God's work out of loving kindness and mercy to us is because we will never be good enough to earn God's love. Our sin comes with a price that we cannot pay ourselves. Our sin separates us from God and there's not a thing on earth we can do to make amends to God for all the wrong. It was God who came down to man. It's why Jesus said that he did not consider equality with, something, with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming a bondservant, a slave to mankind, to redeem us from lawlessness. That's why we know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And as we think through this passage and we think of the power behind it, it was God's work, it was his decision to live and breathe and become a perfect man and a perfect sacrifice who died on the cross and when he satisfied the wrath of God, having overcome sin, death, and the grave, he rose from the dead and he offers life to you and me. One of the things that just absolutely struck me as I was studying this week as I was reading, is this idea that he was saving. His saving action was for people estranged from him. The, the picture of this is one to where, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever felt rejected. Any of y'all know it? You, you ever like wanted that guy or girl to like you and they just don't even know you exist? You ever wanted that job so bad that you thought you were so qualified for and you didn't get it? You ever just want attention from that one person? They don't even know you're there. Feel desperate for it. Can't eat or sleep or drink. And you're like, I have done nothing but offer the best. And they just turn your back, turn their back on you. Christ died. The righteous for the unrighteous. The loving for the unloving. The perfect for the imperfect. Kindness, mercy, and peace for the restless slaves and all mankind did turn their back on it was God who did it at a time when man was rejecting him and God in his richness 
in his benevolence, he gives us this task, this thing to do. It's just our job to respond. Our job to respond to the pulling of the Holy Spirit to repentance. It's our job to see and know and understand. And as we see Christ and we understand what he's done, to believe that he's God's son, to believe in our hearts and to confess with our mouth. And the scripture is so beautiful about who this is available to. Throughout scripture, John 4, 1 John 4 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Then it says, whoever. You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to look right, talk right, smell right, be right. You don't have to be of a certain nationality. Your skin doesn't have to be a certain color. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to even show up to church. Whoever. It's open-ended. Whoever confesses. That Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in him. And he in God. The Old Testament talks about this too in Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 says, And it will come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This term is littered throughout Scripture that whosoever will let him. In fact, in Revelation 22 verse 17, right at the very end of the, of the Bible, at the very end it, it talks about this. And the Spirit will say, Come. And let the one who here says, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires of the water to take the water of life without price. It is free. It is a gift. That is the present situation that we all find ourselves in. If we are in Christ, our present is a gift because we have been redeemed from all lawlessness. We have been set free from the slavery of sin. And if you're in here and you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your present can change if you receive the gift of Jesus Christ by believing and confessing him as Lord. And you would think that would be enough, right? For Paul to tell Titus in the church, like, just believe you get salvation. But he doesn't just talk about their past and their, their present. He talks about this power that they have in Christ Jesus. It's a, a power that the Spirit, when you receive Him, when you confess Him, whom God poured out, right? The Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He talks about how that Spirit... When we receive Christ, it's poured out on us richly. Now, I want to give you a, a picture of this term and this idea and this concept. If you're anything like me, you're probably, well, I'm just going to tell you who I am. The nice word for it is financially conservative. The reality, far too often, is just cheap. Tight-fisted, right? We need to understand this. Our God is not financially conservative when it comes to his spirit being poured out on us. God is not tight-fisted with his power when it comes to his spirit being poured out on us. God is not conservative on any level with us when it comes to his spirit in our hearts and our lives. When we receive Christ, God is liberal in his generosity. The problem is we don't really know how to deal with it. Sometimes whenever we think, okay, the Holy Spirit has been poured out in my life, what we think is, okay, it's poured out. It's there in me, right? I've got it. 
Some of y'all are like, that is a full cup. That is a cup that is safe to give a child even if it has Kool-Aid in it, right? Sometimes we're like, I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if my child can handle that. And so when we think about things being poured out in us in the Holy Spirit, we're more conservative. We think that if we're the cup, this is how much Spirit is in us. It's there. It doesn't overwhelm us. We're not completely filled or overflowing, but, but it's there, right? Clear cup, clear water, you can see it. Rowlett tap. Some of us have a different view. When we think about the Spirit being poured out on us, we're not conservative. We're not full, right? We have the mentality that Jesus has filled our cup to the brim. Now I want you to think about these three cups. Which one are you? Which one are you? When you think about the Holy Spirit in your life, which one are you? Do you live your life that, yeah, he might be there sometimes, but you don't really see it that often? Do you live your life where you're like, yeah, the power is there. I can feel it. I know it's there. Or do you feel like the power is filled to the brim? Every once in a while, it might drip on the floor. Do you have your cup? Do you know who you are? Pick it. Don't, don't say, I'm not going to ask you one, two, or three. You got it? Everybody got their cup? Raise your hand if you got a cup. I got something for you. All of those are wrong. They're not even close. They're not even remotely close to the Holy Spirit being poured out in us and through us. We're going to lift this screen real quick, and I'm going to try and give you a better picture of what it means to have the Holy Spirit poured out in you. I'm going to give you what I hope is, is maybe a, a better picture of what it's like to have that Holy Spirit in you because it's not like conservative or small. It's not limited to, to like, yeah, I'm full, like this is enough. It's not even to the brim. Like when we're talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out on you, the only way to, to kind of capture this is just to go all in. Completely covered to where whenever you come up out of the water, you're just completely consumed by the Spirit. I don't know if they got it, so do it again. And it keeps coming and coming and coming to where, like, go ahead and stand up. To where when you're living your life, you're so covered by the Spirit that you can't help but allow that to move from you onto other people. For it to not just consume you, but it is, it's messy, right? And it's covering. Like when we talk, you can get back in or you can, you can do whatever you want. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon you, there is a limitless power that God gives to the believer. There is this presence of God that we know on Sunday morning that resurrection power. Please hear me. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. Jesus said in his own words, all these things I have done, and then he added something incredible, and more you will do. This power, this spirit of God 
dwells within you because our God is not conservative, because our God is not limited to you as a vessel or a cup and what you can accomplish in him and through him knows no measure. The problem is a lot of times we just hold ourselves back. And we don't allow the power and the spirit of God to truly work through us. We limit the limitless God. There are different reasons why we do this, but I think one of the biggest reasons that we limit God, if we're going to get past this, the thing we've got to do is we've got to let go of our past. We are so concerned about the slavery in which we once lived that we don't know how to live free for God. We've got to let go of it. The shackles are in the past. Quit talking about it. Quit thinking. Quit returning to slavery. Live set free. You have been freed, and you are free indeed if you are in Christ Jesus. Number two, you've got to lay hold of your present. You have been given a gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sin. You have been given a gift, a present in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You've got to cling to what God says is true about you instead of the lies your mind tells you about yourself. You have got to lay hold of the present. And ultimately, whether we're half full or just kind of in there, what we have to do is allow the Spirit of God to overflow. Like, we've got to get to a point to where you're like, God, just fill me up, rain out on me, let me get messy, let me get on those around you, just do your work in my heart and my life, I don't want to live a common ordinary life, I don't want to live a life that is expected, I don't want to do things that are explainable, I want to go to my school campus, I don't want to just be a little salt and a little light, I want to set that school ablaze for Jesus Christ. I cannot wait for the day that our adults quit thinking of themselves as accountants and salesmen and financial officers and police officers and teachers, administrators. What about the day that we go and we say we are missionaries who has accounting responsibilities? We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ who have teaching responsibilities. We are a limitless source of God's power to a lost and dying world. What about when we live a life beyond all limits, knowing that the biggest enemy we have in our limitations is not the world, but our own mind that restricts the Holy Spirit that has been poured out on us?